it's an important part of my story because like I said, I wake up optimistic and it is easier for me to be positive than some people, but that gift was tested in that season. And that is what has brought me here 13 years later to be doing what you and I are doing today and doing what the hats that I put on in the last few years, because through living with a chronic illness, I've proven something to myself that there is a gift in being positive and there's value in sharing it and in teaching and encouraging other people to lean in and see the importance and value too. Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Boomer women. Are we wise women? Are we mavens? Are we crones? Hell yeah. And we're also still curious, fun-loving, interesting, the list goes on. This podcast is for you. My guests are folk who have a message for our demographic. And if you want to hear a specific message, let me know and I'll find the guests. This podcast is also a conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it. And we must perpetuate the art form. I try and let my guests have the greater say. And usually we fit in a good laugh or two. Listen in now to today's guest. Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. The power of positive thinking. Books have been written about it. Many of us try to remember it. And today's guest embodies it. Leanne has four kids, a home to run, a coaching business, a podcast. She's the founder and director of a fundraiser triathlon. And she has MS, multiple sclerosis. The US CDC defines chronic disease as a condition that lasts one year or more and requires ongoing medical attention or limits activities of daily living or both. From what I know about MS, one year actually means one lifetime. We'll hear Leanne's story from Leanne herself, but I can only imagine the blow that diagnosis dealt to a 29-year-old, exhausted but glowing mother of four little people, six years and younger. Leanne Stickle, welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. And that was such a lovely introduction. (laughs) Well, I empathized. I mean, not that I could ever really feel it, but I had three kids in three years. So I understand exhausted and you beat me by one, but that's, that's all right. That's a detail. (laughs) It is a, it is a special level of fatigue, right? And there is not a young mother out there that doesn't wear the badge of I'm super tired and rightfully so because kids are tiring and they are demanding in the most beautiful way the way they're supposed to but fatigue was not a red flag to me because it seemed par for the course it seemed the way I was supposed to feel in that season right well which leads into where I was going to go is you know I sort of set the scene you were 29, you had four small children, you were busy as all get out. What was the road to that diagnosis? Yeah, so this is a really important part of our podcast today, because I want everyone to be hyper aware of how they feel, and early symptoms that they might be experiencing. And so for myself, I had numbness and tingling on my left side. And it would come and go. And I would often explain it by like, oh, it's probably just a pinched nerve. Like I've got a little kiddo on my hip. I'm kind of crooked, right? Because I walk around and I'm picking people up and I'm sure I'm not lifting the correct way. And you could just kind of like hear a chiropractor in the back of your head saying, you know, (laughs) you should not be doing that that way or feeding someone while you're doing something else. And so I would just explain away some of those early symptoms And it made sense. And I think it would make sense to a lot of people. And until the numbness did not go away, it was nagging. It got louder on my left side. My left hand would go completely numb and I would rub my fingers together and just be annoyed and really noticing it because you're right. 
four kids in five years means that your days are filled with mom, mom, hey, mom, and not a lot of time left over to think about yourself, notice little hiccups or things that don't feel perfect. It's just, I don't know, you know, you know what I mean? You can oh, picture no, I, this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I go to my family doctor because at the time I had an HMO. And when you have an HMO for your health insurance, you need a referral to go to a specialist. So you need your family doctor to say, I agree with you. You need to see a chiropractor. And that actually was super annoying at the time because it felt like one more appointment. Like I have to go to my family doctor and then I can go to a chiropractor. Like I just wanted to be the boss of myself and go to a chiropractor and get straightened out and the numbness would go away and poof, everything would be fine. That was not the case. And my family doctor said, time out. If you were 69, I might do that. But since you're 29, I feel like we need to dig in and look at this deeper. And I still give him big hugs to this day, like 13 and a half years later, because I give him a lot of credit for recognizing early signs of MS and doing the right thing and telling me what I didn't want to do or telling, giving me direction that I didn't really want to obey, which was go see a neurologist. Then you go to the neurologist, you have a physical exam. They tell you to go have an MRI. I didn't want to do that. It all felt like overkill because it, I felt like my symptoms didn't warrant all of this digging and this, oh, looking for something so severe. And I am an eternal optimist. I was born that way. I wake up that way. And so, you know, when your rose colored glasses are so darkly tinted, you don't see the possibility of a chronic illness or a diagnosis that is you're going to be stuck with forever, right? For the rest of your life. So that was the journey. And on October 23rd of 2009, after the MRI, I came back to the neurologist. My husband offered to go with me to the appointment. And I just said, no, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. I still felt like they were going to see something structural that was wrong with me that was giving me these sensory problems. Like my legs would be super heavy and they would feel like I was kind of walking through mud. But then I would think, well, you know, you're, you're taking care of all these kids. You're super tired. You're blah, blah, blah. You sleep with a kid next to you. Of course, your, your legs are probably asleep from, you know, how, you know, you've got your arm up while you're asleep. It just, it's really interesting when I look back and realize how many things I discounted and I think especially optimists have a tendency to do that. And I think also as moms, we don't want those truths to be our truth and that there is something seriously wrong. And so we try and explain everything away or we go to like WebMD and there's literally a never ending list of things that could cause numbness, tingling, sensory problems, right? And so- the internet is really not your friend. Um, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit more later. But anyway, so on October 23rd, the neurologist said, Leanne, you have multiple sclerosis. And in that moment, I was crushed. And you, I really didn't know that much about MS. And I had walked into that office. And it was like in that moment, I felt like they were going to wheel me out in a wheelchair because all of, all I could see in my mind's eye was a wheelchair mobility issues. And I just sat in that parking lot and just cried and call and Don left work came. I mean, it was, it was, and I went into a period of mourning. I'm going to pause because I'm terrible at rambling. And so <laughs> I better like let you ask. The, yeah. the thought that came to mind was, and it's a line I still use, is I don't have time to get sick. And that's exactly what you've reminded me of, you know, just you keep on plugging through because, oh, whatever, it's just what it, whatever it is. But I'm also thinking that all of the hypochondriacs out there were all going like, oh, well, these tingly fingers and things like that. So we have the, yeah. the doctors in the world are going to be busy as I'll get out after this one goes live. <laughs> right. But, but to the benefit of the person that's diagnosed. And so that's okay. Like I see you, the people that worry, and I see you, the people that don't worry. There's the spectrum, right? And we're all somewhere in that space. 
And it's more important to know because what happened when I was 29, even though that did send me into a period of mourning, I was mourning the future I had pictured. I was mourning what I had planned to spend my dollars on instead of a chronic illness. I was mourning this bucket list that I thought now felt impossible. I was mourning the amount of time that I was going to have to invest in my care, education about MS, just the list goes on and on. And when someone is newly diagnosed, that is my very first tip is you have to pause. You have to respect the sad and know that that's normal. It's okay. It is a big deal. And everyone is going to come out of that season in a different span of time. It's an important part of my story because, like I said, I wake up optimistic and it is easier for me to be positive than some people. But that gift was tested in that season. And that is what has brought me here 13 years later to be doing what you and I are doing today and doing what the hats that I put on in the last few years because through living with a chronic illness, I've proven something to myself that there is a gift in being positive and there's value in sharing it and in teaching and encouraging other people to lean in and see the importance and value too. Right. Okay. So I'm going to go to MS itself. Um, I was on Mayo Clinic, not WebMD. Um, it's a neurological disease that manifests itself almost anywhere in the body by damage and or deterioration of the nerves. What else can you tell us? Yeah. So it's autoimmune. So when you hear the word autoimmune, you'll hear that all the time, right? Okay. And there's a lot of things that are listed under that category. Autoimmune means that your immune system, which was built to defend you and fight for you is now fighting against you. Your immune system has gotten confused and it is now doing something that it was not designed to do. So in the case of an MS patient, the immune system is going into the central nervous system, which is brain, neck, spinal cord, and it is destroying the nerve, like you said. And so when those nerves are destroyed, it's like a lamp with an electrical cord that a mouse has eaten away at. So when there is damage on that plastic coating, now the lamp flickers because the signal is not getting through. So when the nerve is damaged, that myelin sheath is damaged, the message is not getting through to send the right sensations to my fingers. And that's why it feels numb. So that's really a simple layman's version of now brain, neck, spinal cord, huge range of importance of real estate. Okay. So I like to call, you know, like the center part of your brain, it's like central Illinois. That's where I live, you know, medium priced homes, not a big deal. Um, spinal or like the brainstem, that's like the New York city apartment real estate of your central nervous system. It's a big deal. So in 2017, I had a relapse and I had a new lesion. So a lesion is where they're seeing damage or there's been damage done. It shows up as a white uh, cloudy mark on your MRI. And so that is called a lesion. It's really just um, inflamed tissue and damage. And really it's because of, well, there's a huge history as to why it's called a lesion, but nevertheless, I had a lesion near my brainstem. And so at, in 2017, we decided to be a lot more aggressive with my treatment because of the nature of the location of the damage being done, right? So lots more to it, but that that's the general. And, and the, the truth about MS patients is, is that there are as many stories as there are patients. Right. So a patient could have one lesion and have immense troubles. And another patient could have so many lesions and you wouldn't be able to tell. So it's it's really difficult to predict what a person's experience will be just based on an MRI. I really liked your analogy about the lamp and the, the, the chewed frayed wire. 
in my experience, when that happens to a lamp, not that I have a lot of mice running around, honest, <laughs> but you know, you'll, you'll turn on the lamp sometimes and it's sort of flickering and you have to jiggle and line up the, the wire. And then other times you just turn it on. It's fine. Like is, is your life like that where some days everything seems to be fine. And then there's other days where it's like, Oh crap, here we go. Faulty wiring. hundred percent. And so the type of MS that I have is called relapsing remitting. Mm -hmm. And so it is what it sounds like, right? Like relapse, you get worse and then remitting you mostly get better. And that is the nature of the disease. And obviously there are things that I have identified uh, that I can control that improve the odds to have better days. And those things are stress and fatigue. Those are the two things that I try to manage the most. And what stress management looks like for each person is so different, but maybe that's fitting in fitness for me. Maybe that makes me feel like I'm managing my stress or my health in a way that makes me do better. And fatigue is just across the board, so important to respect. And I definitely get a good night's sleep. And I think in the last 13 years, there's rarely been a day I've missed a nap. And I don't take super long naps, but I may take multiple naps. I have trained myself to sleep in utter chaos because I have to blink out, you know, and nod off. And it's, it is just crazy when you see the impact of a nap or, and I'm, I'm sure lots of people have this experience, but I just encourage people to respect rest because it makes such a big difference. Right, right. Now you've used the word disease and I did want to clarify whether MS is considered a disease, an illness, a condition. What is the best word? I, I have heard chronic illness and I've heard disease used interchangeably in the last 13 years. I call it a chronic illness because Currently, there is no known cure and chronic to me means it's yours forever. And I thought that your definition was very interesting that anything from one year to the rest of your life is considered chronic because one year sounds like a dream, right? <laughs> so like if we got to fix this in one year, I would sign up for that. But in, in the way I explain it is chronic is yours. And you know, the likelihood of us finding a cure in my lifetime is very, very low. My, like my biggest hope is that the diagnosis will become more and more boring. And I say that in a way like that we have come so far in disease modifying therapies, which is our way of saying drug. And what, what has been created and is available to us now is amazing and is for sure slowing the progression of the disease. So if we can slow the progression of the disease, then the diagnosis can potentially be boring. Like, yeah, we've got this, right? And that's my hope that I would see that in my lifetime. Once again, you just reminded me that um, I had met a woman shortly after I started the podcast and she has MS. She's relatively local to me, so I was like really excited about interviewing her. And she ended up on a drug treatment therapy thing. Uh, she had great results, like she was really excited. And then they canceled it because nothing was working and it turned out it was placebo and she was just dumbfounded. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's just a roller coaster. It really, really must be. Okay, so you're a positive person that comes through just talking to you. I certainly get that you stepped into your car and you just probably sobbed your face off. How did you get back to being that positive person and having a really positive outlook? Yeah. So really I spent eight weeks sad. I, which may sound long to some people and may sound short. And I think it is both. It's all relative to your own experience, your own support system and your own like natural inclinations, personality strengths. So by sad, I mean, of course I took care of my kids. And of course there was life still coming at me, but I would lay in bed at night and tears would just come down my face and I would just lay there. And my poor husband was like, is there anything I can do? You know, and there was nothing, there was nothing that anybody could do. I just didn't want this to be my story. And I just 
was sad. Until I realized that it's not that fun to host a pity party and it's not that fun to attend. And I realized that I was spending a lot of time in the feeling sorry for myself, that this was what I had to do. And this is what I had to spend money on. And, you know, my first therapy was a daily injection. That was a whole nother round of feeling sorry for myself, right? Like I don't want to give myself a shot every day. Nobody signs up for that. And of course it could be worse, but it could be so much better. And my peers were not facing this. So I always share this part because it's so, so, so important for people to not rush this, not shame themselves. I want you to give yourself a giant hug and have so much patience for yourself in the season because it is super stinky. It's super hard. And there's just, that is, that's the truth. That's the truth. Then one day I thought, this is crazy. I cannot stay in this state of mind. And I decided that the one thing I could control was fitness. And before this, like, let me just tell everybody listening that you are looking at an academic, not an athlete. Like nobody picked me for any team. No, no, no. Like this is not my space. Fitness was a means to an end, right? Like maybe to lose weight in between pregnancies. It just was not my space. But now I have a condition, an illness, a disease that could potentially take away my mobility. And a light bulb went off that, oh my goodness, this is urgent. You should be moving because you can. Like today you have feeling in your legs and you can walk, you can walk on the treadmill, you can hold onto the handle if you feel off balance and you should be. And that moment was just a turning point for me because I took back control of something. It wasn't my whole life. It wasn't MS. It wasn't necessarily fixing anything, but it gave me a little bit of control. And I actually signed up for my first triathlon, which is crazy, right? <laughs> when you're when you're talking about a person that's not an athlete. But it felt like one of those bucket list things that I had thought that I would do in my 40s when my kids were older. And now I felt worried. What if my disease progressed and it wasn't possible to do when I was in my 40s? And signing up for that was magic because I printed out the training plan and it said, Leanne, you have to bike this day. You've got to get on the treadmill this day. You need to go to the pool this day. And I just followed it. I let it be the boss of me and it helped me to check something off in a healthy way and lean into fitness. And, you know, as we, as we have a conversation about this journey, fitness became a big part of that because man, should we all move because we can? I think that we can all agree that we all should. And yet my why was so powerful that the motivation showed up, right? Because now my why was, I have MS. What if I can't move someday? And boom, I was motivated to work out and exercise and make it a priority. So that was really a turning point. And it really helped my perspective because I could celebrate what was possible today. I could realize, you know what? My legs don't feel great, but I can hold on to the treadmill. And I realized that if I could walk today, even if they feel funny, maybe we can talk about muscle memory. Maybe I can help my body remember how to do these things, even if the conditions change. And that in and of itself, that was motivating, right? Because you want to hold on to everything when you're, you know, using all three floors of your home and right, still chasing around four little kids all of those things felt super, super important. And that, that was a turning point. I'm really glad you went into the fitness piece because when you look at something like MS, you sort of could think that, oh, I, I don't want to do too much exercise because that may make something worse or it may overtax muscles that are already, you know, compromised in some way. Uh, but apparently, obviously, you know, more than, than me and m most of our listeners, it's a, it's a good thing to get into fitness. It's, it is literally the first step. So okay. after, after people have a period of mourning and 
try to find a place of peace or acceptance with their new, this version of their story. The next step is fitting in some movement, fitting in fitness, like showing up for themselves in that way. And like out of respect for what their body is still able to do, even if it is not what they want or what they think it should be able to do. It just, it's such a shift in your mindset in that space. And it's so healthy. And, you know, that, that started, that definitely improved my mood. Right. And it, and it gave me something so healthy to focus on instead of this new truth that I didn't want to think about. I'll tell you about another moment because these, these all happened here within the first six months. I was noticing my hand and I would always rub my fingers together and I had a bad attitude and I was thinking those same thoughts, right? Just feeling sorry for myself and how annoying this was. And was it always going to be like this? Would it get worse? You know how when you have a cavity filled and you come out and your face is like super, super numb. And then as the day goes on, it gets less numb. Well, the same thing happens to my hand. If I'm super stressed out, the numbness is so strong. The symptoms are so loud. If I, you know, there's other days that it's a lot less. It's like four hours after your cavity is filled. Anyway, so here I am looking at my hand, bad attitude. And today I'm wearing a very practical watch, but I have been known to wear all sorts of watches, fun ones, cheap ones, expensive ones, funky. Like I just love watches. And I thought to myself, wow, Leanne, good choice. Like that is such a cute watch because I'm sitting here looking at my left hand and I started calling it my frosting. And frosting was a turning point for me too, because it is my version of a silver lining. The truth is, is that life sometimes is like dry, crummy cake. Not the plan, not what we were hoping for. If you go into a bakery, you're not hoping for a dry, crummy cake. If you use all your ingredients in your kitchen, you're not hoping for a dry, crummy cake. But sometimes that's what we get in life. It, it was not my plan. And yet, if we if that happens in our kitchen, we can go to the cupboard, we can get a jar, maybe two jars of frosting, we can layer it on thick, we can kind of rescue our dessert that didn't turn out perfectly. And we can still enjoy the bite with the right frosting, with enough frosting. And so I started seeing things in life and calling them my frosting, whether it was the cute watch, the sunshine, new Birkenstocks, old Birkenstocks, healthy kids, our puppy, all those things by pausing, recognizing them and being thankful, right? Which I know we've heard in all different versions, but it was, it just made so much sense to me that it's my mission. It has become my mission because it's just, it, it's not heavy lifting. You don't, you don't have to be my clone to start noticing frosting in your life. And anything that makes you smile, that's frosting right? And it makes a difference. Like it makes the dry crummy cake less of a big deal. It makes it maybe even enjoyable. And that, that was a big, big perspective shift for me because it didn't take away the crummy. It's almost like it's important to me to help people realize there are things that we won't be able to change in our life, but we can still have lovely days. We can still enjoy the bite. It can still be sweet and make us smile. And so that's why that analogy for me has just been game changing. Well, I, I just want to say right now that I'm actually going to go for coffee because I'm just scrolling through my notes. You are just, I mean, I even have your whole thing about the frosting theory is about finding ways to add joy and take focus off the difficult parts. I got it all right here. I was going to ask you about it, but there you go. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I'm sorry, Agnes. No, no, I don't no, no this is perfect. No, it's perfect. No, no, I don't want to talk. I'm just so impressed that you're just following my notes. I don't need to talk. <laughs> Um, this is great. And it, it's a it's a perfect analogy because even it's not even that it's it's the crummy cake or whatever, but a sealed spoonful of sugar makes medicine go down, isn't it? I mean, that's my generation's version. And uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So and uh, can you give us a ballpark time frame about you know, from from say morning for eight weeks? 
getting into fitness through to creating your frosting theory? So this, this all happened within the first year after my diagnosis. Life was coming at me fast, but I remember it was probably six months after my diagnosis. So it, that would have been spring-ish that, because I, I remember being outside, I remember noticing the sunshine and when I was feeling salty about my left hand being numb. And so, you know, I want to encourage everyone you're going to listen to me and think, well, I'm not like that. It's not easy for me to be positive. That's just a gift that she has. And actually I'm kind of a pessimist, or maybe you're thinking I'm a negative person. Maybe you've been told that maybe it's something that you've affirmed to yourself. And I love this explanation. We all know people that are gifted musicians. And they can sit down at the piano and they can just play. And it's amazing, right? And we look at them with envy because I'm sitting here in my music room and I cannot sit down and play. I took 13 years of piano and those were valuable years. And I love the piano and I can play it. No one will ever pay me to play the piano. That does not mean that I shouldn't have taken lessons. That doesn't mean that I can't learn. That doesn't mean that I can't improve. And so I see and I view my gift of positivity like a musician, a gifted musician. They share their gift. They teach others. And that's something that I can do. I can share it. And if you believe that positivity is a skill, then it's something that I can teach and others can learn and practice and get better at. Will you magically become the most positive person ever? Like how I did not come the most gifted musician ever? Probably not. And that's okay. There's still value in learning and getting better and enjoying the journey. And that in the last few years has just, it's given me wings. Because I see people struggling and I want to encourage them that maybe they won't ever feel like it's easy for them to be positive. There's still hope that they can feel more positive, that they can be more in control, that they can be filled with more gratitude. And, and we know that these things lead to feeling more content. And really that's the goal, right? I mean, we talk about happiness and, and I challenge the, I love the word happy and sign all my emails, happy day of the week, happy Tuesday, happy Wednesday. But I challenge the happy word to kind of think about con being feeling content. When we're content, we're really quite happy. And what makes us content, right? It's a healthy perspective. It's making progress in our life. It's could be a lot of things, but figuring that out for ourselves, that's part of this journey of being more positive. And I don't know, it's just so important. I can't even, I just, it makes me so excited. And I just want everybody to lean in and try it. And yeah, so I'm trying to pause. Yeah, no, no. I, and I hear you. And I, I, the thoughts that came to mind, I don't know if I'm going to put this into words properly, but I'm thinking I have never been able to play a musical instrument, but I still take great joy in music. I've also been called a bit of a Pollyanna. And on those days when, you know, life comes at you, as an MS diagnosis would come at you, uh, it's like you reach a stage where you realize like, okay, not only am, am I not liking myself that much right now, I'm sure the people around me are going, okay, we understand, but. And so to be able to Bring yourself to a more joyful place. I won't even say a joyful place, but a more joyful place benefits yourself, the people around you, your life. Like there's just so many pieces of the puzzle that end up in a better place when you try to find some some joys, um, some contentment. That's a that's a beautiful word. Absolutely. And, and I, some of the people I work with, I encourage them to even think of those important people in their life 
that is such good motivation. Your kids, your spouse, your parents, your friends, like, can you be an encouragement to them? There's so much satisfaction that comes from having a conversation with someone and then their response is, oh, I feel so much better. Oh, I didn't think about it that way. And none of the tools that I teach are rocket science at all. I mean, yeah, they're practical. I teach things that people can do in their car, but you have to lean in. You have to believe that it's possible. You have to not think that I'm crazy. You have to practice them. It's a muscle. It does not. There are things in my life that I'm known for, that you're known for. People would say, oh, that's just like Agnes. She blah, blah, blah. Finish the sentence, right? There's things that we do that people just know that truth about us. And so that means that's something you don't have to work on. Oh, Agnes, her home is always tidy. So that may be a truth about you that everyone knows. And so you don't have to put it on your to-do list. You don't have to be like, well, this New Year's resolution, I want to be super tidy. That's already a truth about you. So there are things about us that we want to change. And so to change a truth, that's heavy lifting. That means we've got to make a decision. We have to write a new affirmation. We have to try and change a belief about ourselves, And that's difficult. Leanne is a slob. And that's not something I'm interested in changing. It is a truth. And I just don't care. Now, there may be other people around me that do care. But if I wanted to change that, then I would need to say a different affirmation. I would have to start showing up in a different way. I would have to look at what's making me, right? We'd have to dissect what's making us this way. And so I always, when I'm working with somebody that's struggling with positivity, okay, we have to dig in. What is making you blue? What is making you see the crummy side? Oftentimes when we deal with something hard, it can be a chronic illness. It can be a relationship issue. It could be losing someone, job loss, right? There's lots of hard in life. For sure. You do not have to look very far to see people facing hard things. What I find with people with chronic illness is they get a diagnosis and they handle the disease. Okay, so let me explain this. They hold on to it. They It means that they're constantly worrying about it, thinking about it. They're talking about it. They go to support groups. They go online and research. They're doing fundraising. They, good and bad, right? And they are constantly holding on to this chronic illness. And I, I always encourage them to, can we set it on a shelf? Can we just have it like right nearby, right? So if there's an opportunity that seems valuable, research, fundraising, something that's going to give us life, we can get it back down, right? But could we just set it over here? And can we pick up something that's exciting, like writing a book, reading a book, signing up for a race, planning a family vacation, getting a dog. I don't know, whatever it is that would be more fulfilling, more lovely, more exciting to yourself that maybe you have a little more control of because this chronic illness that I'm wanting you to set over here on a shelf, there's a lot of things that are out of your control, whether it's insurance or the, the what they charge for a drug, like what do we, you know, those are hard things to deal with. And it just, it's so healthy to just set it on the shelf and get excited about something else. I feel like that has such a big impact when people feel the freedom to let go because you kind of feel like you need to be this responsible superstar patient and pick it up and fuss with it all the time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And I was just going to ask that maybe should you be sitting down and writing all the things that brought you joy or you were good at pre-diagnosis and try to fit those back in somewhere along the way. And as you say, if you're you're putting that diagnosis on the shelf, it's not like you're putting it in a lockbox and putting it in a deep, dark corner. It's there. You know it's there, but it doesn't need to be right smack dab on top of your keyboard. 
Exactly. It's a healthy visual and it's kind of funny. And I know it seems kind of woo, but I just challenge people to kind of think through how much of my day, my email list, my, the websites that are open on my browser, like how much of all of that is related to this yucky truth that I don't even really like, you know, and go back to that pre-diagnosis. What were those dreams? What are those things on your bucket list that feel hard? The, you know, that one thing that I held on to was signing up for a triathlon, which was crazy. And I barely survived it. I did not do amazing. I have done four. I do not. Yeah. It's, it's not about winning or being super ripped or anything crazy unattainable. It's about showing up for myself, moving, proving it to myself that I can keep going. That is just life-giving to me. I was thinking about I'm not an obituary reader, but every once in a while you see the obituaries and you see the ones that are written that say, you know, despite the cancer diagnosis, this person went on and did this and they did that and they supported somebody through something and all these really positive aspects. And you never, ever see an obituary that says, well, they got that diagnosis and they just quit living. They were a pain in the butt. They drove everybody crazy. Um, you know, so I guess, uh, yeah, people, other people will always remember when you bring the joy. 100%. And, and that's one of my favorite sayings is bring the joy, because we do have the power to bring it, we can't expect it to be waiting for us in a room. And I tell my kids that all the time, like it is our responsibility to bring the joy to a situation to a conversation to the classroom to our day. And that's so empowering to realize that that's possible and that we can, you know, that's why I just get so excited for people because it is just like a step away, a habit away. It's not, it's just not crazy. And the impact is amazing. There's an online leader who uses that term a lot, bring the joy. And he actually recommends that you, if you're going into other people's places, you stop at the door And you say to yourself, what am I bringing to this party? You know, what am I bringing to this gathering? And if it's not the joy, you stop and find the joy and then you go in the door. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so our our listeners are mostly mid-aged women. Mid-aged women have seen a lot of hardship. They could have been caretaking parents as they died. Their marriages have ended, perhaps. Uh, They have their own health issues. We've all seen those people like their mouths are permanently downcast it's it's always a a strange vision is there you said just you know find the joy is there an easy way to start to say okay like I cannot stay in this place any longer despite all these little black clouds that are floating around in my life where where do Mm -hmm. they start you have to start with gratitude I know it is overstated And um, that's for good reason. That's because it is that important. That's why every person that you see leading in this space is going to talk about gratitude because when you can take a moment and recognize there are things in your life that you are thankful for, it will change your perspective. And the truth about a gratitude practice is that it doesn't have to be a big hairy deal. And I constantly come back to this with what I teach is that it doesn't have to be like a fancy journal. You do not have to sit down for five minutes. This doesn't have to be like with your morning coffee. It doesn't have to be a new part of your day. It can be on your way to work. I notice five things. It can be talking about it at supper. We say the best part of our day every day at supper, we go around the table And that's a gratitude practice, right? So don't be daunted when somebody says you need to have a gratitude practice. Well, you do, because happiness begins with gratitude, period, end of story. I I love that because I'm currently caretaking uh, an old, old home. And it's got a spectacular view from my bedroom. And every morning I pull the curtains and I go, thank you. And then even out driving, it's a green light thank you, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And it's so easy to, to start with those little things, but you just have to notice them. You do. And it is just, I want the world to be full of people that are clapping. 
And you cannot be a clapper if you don't notice the things that you're thankful for. But what if we all clapped a little bit more? If we were like, yay, for other people, for things in our life, like, could we start looking at our day and recognizing where we could clap more? It is incredible when you go to a race and you see the impact of cheering. I've been a participant and the cheering makes a difference. I've been a volunteer and seen the cheering make a difference. It is true in regular day life too. It This is not just, you know, only a truth at a race. This is a truth in life. And as soon as we recognize it, adopt it, start practicing it, I mean, that 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 is like life-giving to me. Can we just figure out how to be an encouragement to someone else, maybe even to ourselves? That's that's what it means to be a clapper. And I we just finished our kids triathlon. You know, you mentioned that in my intro. And I will mention this too for all of your listeners. I encourage people to do good with the bad part of your story. So everybody has a bad part of their story, some hard lesson that you've had to learn, something annoying, stinky, ugh, frustrating, <laughs> but you had to learn it. And so now could you do some good with that? Try to beat MS Kids Triathlon was that for me. It was me saying, what good could I do in this space with this bad part of my story? And our mission is to raise money. Okay, sorry, can, can I just stop you for a second? Did you say a yeah. kid's MS triathlon? So the name of it is Try to Beat MS. Yeah. But it, it is a kid's triathlon. So when so you don't have to have MS or have a connection to it. It's open but, but to... But can kids be diagnosed with MS? So only 2 to 5% of all MS patients are pediatric. So okay. yes, they can okay. be, but it currently is a very small percentage. All right. Okay. Thank you. I just went, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So there would be a handful of participants at our event that have a connection to MS, a mom, a grandma, an aunt, a friend, but a huge percentage would not have a connection other than maybe knowing me, but our primary mission is to raise money to help patients locally. Okay. And we have an organization that is building ramps, paying co-pays, helping out with medication costs, um, transportation, et cetera, et cetera. It's awesome. My secondary mission is to inspire kids to love fitness. And that's because of the impact that it had in my life and realizing that race energy is literally the best and if I could get kids addicted to race energy, then maybe fitness would just be part of their life. You and I both know that oftentimes fitness is viewed as like a prescription. The doctor says, you need to work out, you should walk more, and nobody wants another prescription. And we almost maybe feel resistant, like, oh, I don't need to do that right? I don't know. There's just like a defensive part of us, or maybe it's because we know we should, and we feel kind of embarrassed that we don't, whatever the like human nature reasons are. But as when we look at our kids, if we can inspire them to love fitness and it's just what they do, like working out is just part of who they are, then maybe they don't have to go through the hard, heavy lifting part of life where it's like, ugh, okay, I better get walking. I better learn how to run when I'm 30. Could we help them? Like not have to face that the way maybe some of us have. And we feel confident that that's happening. And this, this past Saturday was our ninth annual triathlon. So really, really, really special. Was this something you took over or, or did you start it and grow it? Founder and director. Oh, that's right. I said that in the in the intro. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. So, you know, I I am an avid volunteer. I think if the whole wide world volunteered, we'd be in a better place. And I was volunteering in the schools before that and was ready for a new, like a change of scenery. 
and was wanting to fundraise in the space of all these patients that I was getting to know that didn't have as good of insurance as I did, didn't have a support network like I did. And so we looked around for an event that our area was really missing and felt like a kid's triathlon. So it's for kids ages six to 15. It's a no experience necessary. We have over 70 volunteers that support it. And it's just, we have anywhere from about 125 to 175 kids, depending on the year that come participate. Oh, that's great. Okay. Now, speaking of kids, may I get personal? Yeah. Your children have pretty much grown up with your diagnosis. Uh, has yep. it affected them or? So this will be the Pollyanna answer. And, mm-hmm. you know, we hope that people don't want to trip me, you know, um, but they have so much more empathy mm-hmm. for other people because they have lived in a home that shuts down at one o'clock and I take a rest and they're respectful of it. And it's just what we do. And they also realize that people, I don't look like I have a chronic illness and they have had to have that conversation so many times, like people, oh, I didn't know your mom, blah, blah, blah. Then they are explaining it or recognizing that, wow, I wonder if other people that don't look sick are dealing with something hard in their life. So the reality is, is I feel that the impact to them has been minimal have we had to spend a lot of money on my chronic illness? Yes. Have we had to pause and not go as fast as I would like for vacations or, or whatever, right? The list goes on and on. Yes. But I was also able to prioritize rest so that I could go to volleyball tournaments after school. I I could choose to take care of myself in a way that then I could still show up for their stuff. So that was so important to me. And yeah, it just, in the end, the the impact has been so positive for their understanding. And, you know, when we started the triathlon, they were all like competitive age. So six to 15. So now those four kids are 15 to 20. And so my youngest will next year will actually be her last year to do the triathlon. And so now they're all volunteers. And they love their volunteer jobs. And they're like the week of the, oh my goodness, we just love this week. And my oldest daughter is my volunteer coordinator. She runs the whole ship. And I mean, oh my goodness, Agnes, like what a blessing, like what a lesson that I didn't plan or, you know, I mean, it like accidentally happened. I wish I could take credit for thinking, oh, this is a great parenting move. I did not, but I'm so happy that, they get to see that side and, and feel the, like the wind of helping other people. And anyways, they, they definitely are clappers and have learned to cheer for other people. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like you probably would have instilled that in them anyways, but when they get to actively participate in learning all of that stuff and understanding and being compassionate, and also learning the benefits of a positive attitude. So, and the other thing I made note of here is the the one thing that's really affected them too is understanding that their mother is one amazing woman. Like a lot of kids don't get to realize that. Well, thank you. And they are, it is a privilege to be their mom, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I always say, you, you can't really take credit for all the good things because then you have to take blame for the bad. And so I just am happy I get a front row seat to watching them grow up. Yeah, yeah. And it's nice. Mine are all now in their late 30s. So it's really nice going like, they turned out despite their parents. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 100%. I yeah. definitely never claim to be a perfect parent. Oh dear. <laughs> Is there anything I haven't asked you about living with a chronic condition like MS? Boy, I feel like we really have covered it very well. I just, I just want people to feel encouraged. And I think I I referenced this early on, tiptoe through the internet, be so cautious on the internet, because I always say there's winners and whiners, and they neither one. 
serves you <laughs> at the beginning. The winners are the people that are so thankful for their illness and it's just taught them so many things and they are fundraising and they're superstars and it's so overwhelming, right? When you see these people, it's like kind of nauseating and maybe even how people would see me at this stage in my journey. And then you have the whiners where it like the sky is falling. Everything is horrible. Every drug goes sideways on them. Like it's frightening, right? Like the worst side effects in America are listed on a Facebook group. It's just, so I always tell people to tiptoe through the internet, be very cautious, connect with real people. I am not a stranger. Find people in a space that, make sense to you. I've connected with so many people on social media and I love that. I voice note them. Ask me what, what drugs, why did I choose that? What, that's so much more valuable than reading something from somebody that you have no context. Right. And I think people trip into that out of desperation and it really can be not a good space. I can see the other danger being, too, is that somebody who's maybe far more advanced and is listing all of their problems and issues and everything else, and somebody just says they start owning that instead of looking at themselves and saying, well, I can still do this, I can still do that, and I'm damn well going to make sure I can still do the other thing, too. Exactly. And when I was first diagnosed, I went to a support group because doesn't that sound like something you should do? Like <laughs> go to a support group and meet people and ask questions. And I'm an extrovert, right? So that seemed like a good fit. Oh no, it was not. It was so depressing. I left and spent 400 bucks at Target. And my husband was like, do you think like if you skip the support group, like $200 would have done it? Like I was just so depressed. I think I bought everything in the place. Um, but it was because that group of people what their disease, their disease really was their identity and they needed each other. And I have so much respect for them and that space, like they needed that space, but it was not healthy for me at 29 looking for answers and for hope. All these people were using mobility devices. It just was not a good space for me. And I have been on a mission and I actually work with our local MS center and I provide support to newly to any patient that wants a phone call that wants to hop on Zoom, that wants to text, because I feel like support needs to meet you where you are at. And oftentimes women are diagnosed 25 to 45, and that is a busy season of life. And on a Saturday morning, they want to go to a volleyball tournament and not a crusty old library and sit in a circle, right, with people that aren't their people. And that's okay. You don't have to feel bad that that's not your place. What we need to do is create more spaces that are your space, that are helpful. And honestly, 2020 and being forced online to like save my whole extroverted self helped me find people. And it helped me realize that I needed some support. And I really was so thankful for connections that I made then that brought me a lot of joy and a lot of like, oh, I'm not crazy. Oh, that person is just like me. Oh, that's, and, and that was just a little bit of support that I found to be lovely and that had been missing in my journey, which is interesting. Right. And so I just encourage people reach out to real people. I'm really glad you told the story about Don's reaction to your $400 spend because I either read it or heard it on one of your interviews and I just laughed and I thought, okay, that's a, that's a, a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> he is a superstar. We all just give him a ton of credit. <laughs> okay. So you so see you coach officially. Tell us about that. I do. So I help people get unstuck. I help people make progress. I help people adopt mental practices that change their perspective. The I typically work with women. I have a couple guys that are clients, which I always tease them. Like, you are definitely not my avatar. But somehow, <laughs> like my chop chop, be your mother, get going, remind you of what you promised you would do for the next two weeks. That makes sense to them, which is so charming. But I find that the women that come to me they are, they're awesome. They're already doing great things, but they need some accountability and they want to come into my space because I understand them. 
I get it. They'll say to me, Leanne, this is going to sound crazy. I take a nap every day. And I'm like, that's not crazy. <laughs> and very quickly, we don't have to have that conversation. They don't have to explain why they feel this way with their chronic illness. And so it's that common ground. I do not have the cure for MS or any chronic condition, but I have lived with it for 13 and a half years. And I understand. And I also don't want to get an MRI every year. And I also don't want to get my labs done all the time. And I also, so we end up with that common ground that just is a wonderful space to, to like meet them at. And I, it sounds kind of funny, right? But it is a part of my resume that has ended up being valuable to women that that feels like a big, big, big part of their life. And most of them, we actually reduce how much that chronic illness is having an impact or controlling their days and free them. And it's in progress that the progress is the ultimate goal, right? And so when people realize that and we can work towards that, it's just, I, it gives me, it's just, it's the best. I, I <laughs> could do it every minute of every day. If I could just figure out how to like grow time on trees, you know, <laughs> but I do. Yeah. I remember hearing the term practice makes perfect rephrased to practice makes progress. And I just thought that was so much so much better <laughs> so much better yeah so yeah. much better now we all know people who could do with a serious lesson in optimism finding or positivity do you just work with people with chronic illness no and you know it's so cute because i'll have people say like do i need to have a diagnosis <laughs> to come to have an intro call and it's like Oh goodness, no, I'm so happy for you that this is not part of your story. But it's interesting how it's been my sharing of that story that's helped them say, okay, I can do this too. I can embrace fitness. I can do whatever thing that feels super hard or the goal that they rewrite every single New Year's. Let's stop doing that. It either isn't important, doesn't matter, or we just haven't figured out how to check it off. And so, no, absolutely. I I have had a variety of clients and some that are so fortunate to not have to deal with chronic illness. Okay, so where do we find you and your frosting and all your sprinkles on the World Wide Web? Yep, so I spend a lot of time on Instagram. My Instagram handle is I am Leanne Stickle. My website is leannestickle.com. I have a Facebook group called Not Defined by Chronic Illness. And that is a private Facebook group and anybody is welcome. You don't have to have a chronic illness. I really wanted to create a space that was more positive because there's so many chronic illness Facebook groups that are so depressing that I'm like, ah, we need something else, you know? And Facebook groups are more community-esque than like Instagram is harder to create community, like where people could get to know each other. And I feel like that can happen on a Facebook group. And so that's a, that's a smaller group and I enjoy them. And sometimes we talk about our favorite donut and sometimes we talk about like hard things that we are dealing with. And I just want to encourage everybody, one, don't be a stranger, reach out and ask questions. And three, I have 15 minute windows on my calendar to just chat. It doesn't have to be Zoom. You don't need fancy equipment to just talk on the phone. And I feel like that helps people figure out, is this, is this the conversation that's going to change my path, my progression, my perspective, right? And you can learn, we can, you and I, whoever can learn a lot in 15 minutes. So it sounds like you could also be a support for the person living with a person with a chronic illness because that's For that's sure. a whole nother <laughs> learning curve oh totally okay you passed up that great opportunity so i'll do it for you liamstickle.com <laughs> it's your website <laughs> and the website link will be in the show notes i put 
the links to everything on your page on my website. So that works. Listeners, if you have thoughts on today's show, please talk to us. Leave comments where you're listening. Or if you're listening at the Boomer Woman's podcast at boomwithabang.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and talk to us there. Leave stars and reviews where you can. They help us grow. Share this episode. Most of us could do with learning some positivity tricks, and we know others who should. One thing I didn't ask you, Leanne, was, are you aware of very many people who get this sort of a diagnosis and they try not to let on anything's going on? Like they sort of keep it bottled up? For sure. And actually, someone that I'm working with is doing that at work right now because she's actually really concerned about the impact to her job and maybe being passed over for opportunities or people making assumptions about her abilities or what her future looks like. And wow, that is that's a hard reality to deal with. And there's not a clear right and wrong in that situation. It is so dependent on the person and how they are doing. And we're none of us are promised tomorrow. And any one of us could end up in a wheelchair, right? MS right. diagnosis or not. Yeah. And so it's just such a good lesson for all of us to make the most of what we can do today because we just don't know. We just don't know. And don't wait for the crummy news to motivate you to show up for your day, you know, and for yourself. It's just so important, but there are definitely people that keep it under their hat. Well, when, I, <laughs> when I asked that question, I was sort of thinking more of a pride thing, but holy mm-hmm. crikey, like your career and stuff like that. That's a whole nother podcast episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Okay. So there's another reason to share this conversation. You don't know if someone, you know, is suffering in silence and unsure how to proceed. Leanne Stickle, thank you for being my guest today and sharing your positivity with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a good conversation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Have a great rest of the week.